Welcome to the sermon podcast for First Christian Church of Warsaw, Indiana. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Please visit us at FCCWarsaw.com to learn more about our church or to make plans to be with us on a Sunday morning. Again, that's FCCWarsaw.com. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I really appreciate Larry Hankins leading us in those Christmas carols this morning and Sue playing along. I think it'd be very appropriate if we just show our appreciation to them for leading us. Thank you very much. That was, uh, that was something different today, and I was so looking forward to that. That was just so perfectly Christmassy, and I just love the message of so many of those Christmas songs, don't you, and the, the deep richness that there is in them. So thank you for leading us in those. Hey, let's open our Bibles today to Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bible with you, that's what we're going to be digging into this morning, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we've been looking at the names of Jesus in the book of Isaiah, actually, for the past several weeks leading up to Christmas. Uh, you just saw in the little video we showed here the names of Jesus in Isaiah 9-6, our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace was the name that we looked at uh, just Thursday night at the Christmas Eve service, which was awesome. I hope you were able to participate in that, either, either here in person or online. Well, this morning, I thought what we'd do is we'd put like the capstone if you will, on this series, and just look at the name of all names, because I don't know that often enough we really dig into what the name Jesus really means, and why the scriptures say that God's Son come to earth would be called Jesus. So today I thought we'd dig into that a little bit, and I hope this brings you a lot of hope and some, um, some encouragement, too, as we do this. So step with me, if you will, back into 3, 3, 3 B.C., Back in the early times, um, Jesus coming to earth, and the scriptures give us some guidance on how to do this with this wonderful picture of what was going on in Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, or through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name what? The name Jesus, because... He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, after learning about Mary's pregnancy, Joseph was faced with a pretty tough decision here. He was not unrighteous for considering a divorce from Mary in the manner in which he chose to proceed actually shows that according to the laws of that time, he was acting very righteously. Three reasons why he might have wanted to seek a divorce or really um, a non-continuation of what would have been their marriage. Number one. Joseph would have actually been lying if he said the child was his, because what was conceived in Mary was from the Holy Spirit. 
He didn't want to lie. Secondly, because others would assume that Joseph himself had gotten her pregnant unless he divorced her, his reputation was going to be at stake for the rest of his life. And third, maybe most temptingly, Joseph could have profited financially from divorcing Mary. By taking her to court, he could have impounded her dowry, that is, all of the financial assets that she was bringing into this marriage agreement, and perhaps even gotten back the bridal price if he had paid one to Mary's father in order to become her fiancé. Even though Joseph was going to take the least painful route to terminating the relationship, God sent an angel to him to reveal another option. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Mary was told by an angel also, separately from Joseph, in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, that she was going to have a baby, even though she had never been with a man, and she was to give this baby the name Jesus. And there's a very tender moment in the movie The Nativity Story. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that movie or not, but uh, Kim and I and the girls went over to Glenn and Sue's house uh, after the Christmas Eve service. We had dinner together. We watched The Nativity Story together, which, by the way, I am still just can't hardly get over the fact that after Christmas Eve service, I could just drive right over to my in-laws because I live in the same town. This is so cool. But anyway, we watched the nativity story together, and there's this very precious moment in the movie after Joseph has this dream, and he hears the angels to say, you're to give the baby the name Jesus. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He goes directly to Mary, and he says, Mary, the angel appeared to me. We're to give him the name Jesus. Jesus. And you can see the look in her eyes and his eyes because they both heard that same message but had not yet shared that together. And that's how, at least in the movie, there was confirmation that they both had heard from God because they heard that same name. You're to call him Jesus. Why Jesus? Jesus is a name that appears in a lot of places actually throughout the Bible. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. It's pronounced Joshua in the Old Testament. In Greek, uh, the New Testament was primarily written in the Greek language. The name shows up as Jesus, which we pronounce in English as Jesus. So Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, Jesus, all the same name. The, the name literally means the Lord saves. That's literally what the name Jesus means, the Lord saves. So essentially, the, message, the angel's message from God to both Joseph and Mary was that this child that you're going to be bringing into the world brings salvation. You're to call him the Lord saves because he'll save his people from their sins. We can be sure that Jesus is the most reliable source of salvation because he and he alone is the one who saves us from the very condition that separates us from God. And that's our, our very sins themselves. So what I want us to do this morning is just appreciate this name, Jesus, a little bit more in this Christmas season by reflecting on a few elements of sin from which we are saved. So first of all, first, the name Jesus means, if it means the Lord saves, it means we're saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus, by very name, gives us a new situation in life. To be saved means that our status before God has changed. As baptized believers, we go from sinner to saved. 
Like it says in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because they've been saved from the penalty of their sins. The Bible describes salvation with a, a number of word pictures, including things like this. Redeemed, meaning the payment of our sin penalty has been paid for by Jesus Christ. Justified, we're declared innocent by the one who is fit to judge. Adopted, we're now a member of God's family. Reconciled, all previous estrangement has been overcome and healed. There was a 21-year-old lady named Christina Grady who had to pay the penalty for, for her crime. Uh, she had to pay the penalty while standing outside a JCPenney department store. Twice convicted of shoplifting at JCPenney in North Carolina, she'd been ordered by the court judge to stand outside the store's entrance wearing a sign that said, I have been convicted twice of shoplifting at JCPenney and I am truly sorry for what I did. Perhaps the judge had just finished reading the scarlet letter. I don't know, where you know, a letter is placed on the offender. But for whatever reason, the judge gave her that sentence instead of 45 days in jail. Now what if the judge in that situation, a totally innocent person, had shown up at JCPenney the morning that Christina Grady was to wear that sign. He sees her get out of her car, walk to the entrance as the store is being opened up, and he walks over to her and says, you know what, why don't you just give me that sign? He puts it on himself, and he says, Christina, you go ahead and go on home. It'd be pretty remarkable, wouldn't it? If he'd say, I'll wear it for you. In a sense, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for humanity. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself. He carried our guilt and our shame when he went to the cross and he was the perfect sacrifice, dying there for your sins and mine, taking the penalty that was rightfully ours so that we could be forgiven and go free. Christian writer R.C. Sproul once wrote this, Moses could mediate the law, Muhammad could brandish a sword, Buddha could give personal counsel, Confucius could offer wise sayings, but none of these was qualified to offer an atonement for the sins of the world. Jesus alone is qualified. Only Jesus saves us from the penalty of our sins. He and he alone is the one who saves. His very name says so. The importance of the virgin birth is that Jesus is fully God, untainted by human sin, fully man, also able to share in our sufferings. And that's why in our Christmas carols, we sing some remarkable things like in the song, O Holy Night, long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. In joy to the world, the line says, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Being saved from the penalty of sin causes us to love God rather than be afraid of him because he alone gives us this gift by paying for the penalty himself. You'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from the penalty of their sins. So not only does Jesus save us from the penalty of our sins, a second element we can reflect on in this name Jesus is that we're also saved from the power of sin. Jesus gives us the opportunity of a new self. Here, listen to a couple verses from Romans chapter 6 that describe this. Romans 6, 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. 
that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been freed from sin. And it goes on a little bit later in that chapter to say this in the 14th verse, for sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. We're saved from the power of sin. The Bible says that in Christ we become a new creation because sin no longer has mastery or power over us. There's an old story about a bazaar that was held in a village in northern India. Everyone brought items to trade and to sell. And one old farmer brought in a group of quail. He had a a string tied around one of the legs of each of the quail. And then the string from each of the quail went to a ring that it was then tied to, and he placed that ring over a stick that he drove into the ground. So picture this, each quail has a little string attached to its leg and attached to that ring on that stick, and in merry-go-round fashion, they were just hopping around in a circle. Well, one very compassionate man came upon the bazaar, and he saw that, and just didn't feel that was right, so he said to the farmer, he said, I want to buy all of these birds. And the farmer was just overjoyed. He's like, sure, buy them all. And after receiving the money, he was very surprised to hear the buyer say, now cut them loose. What? Yeah, I want you to cut the strings from each of the birds, which, which he did, set them free. And with the shrug, the old farmer did that. But you know what the birds did free at last? With the strings cut off, they went back to their usual place and went right around a circle in that stick. The man shooed them off. Go, be free. They landed a little ways away, gathered together in a circle, and started their predictable merry-go-round march. Free and unbound and released, they kept acting as though they were still tied. Well, Jesus saves us from the power of sin, meaning, to use the story as a metaphor, the strings that held us or bound us to the power of sin have now been loosened. We're we're no longer tied to the power of sin. That's why one of the Christmas carols, we sang it this morning, God rest you merry gentlemen, says, remember Christ the Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Being saved from the power of sin sets us free to do the things that God wants us to do, to live lives that please him, things that are impossible to do when we're bound or we're tied or we're connected to the power of sin or slaves to sin. But now, free, it's possible to live lives that glorify him, that please him, that honor him, that do world-changing things. You'll call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from the power of sin. Lastly, this name Jesus also means that we're saved from the practice of sin. Because we're saved, as we talked a moment ago, from the penalty of sin, we've given a new situation. Because we're saved from the power of sin, we're given a new self. Um, Because we're saved from the practice of sin, we can now take new steps. We can live differently. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says, no one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. Now, saved people still sin. I think every one of us in here who is a follower of Jesus could testify to the fact that after our baptism day, after our moment where we claim salvation in Jesus, we've continued to sin once or twice, right? Anybody in here besides me done that? Okay, a handful of us have, yeah. 
So that verse, that verse doesn't mean you're never, ever going to sin. And what it does mean is that a follower of Jesus, a saved person, is no longer characterized by sin. They don't, as to use the words of that verse, they don't go on sinning as a way of life. They don't continue in sin as their M.O., right? They live differently. We're saved from the practice of sin, and because of that, it brings out some remarkable things in our lives. We're free to live differently. I get joy out of reading these surveys or these studies that come out every once in a while on the lives of what they call religious people. Largely what they're doing is they're polling Christians, they're polling saved people. And uh, one of them caught my attention not too long ago because it went through a list of all the things that are different about what they called religious people, but again, saved people. Uh, Listen to just a handful of these. Uh, One study shows that there is less alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and criminal activity amongst people who regularly attend church. It also shows that there is lower, there, there would be lower levels of depression and stress. One Gallup survey had respondents showing with strong religious commitment that they were twice as likely to call themselves very happy as opposed to people who did not consider themselves to be quote unquote religious. People who attend church regularly are four times less likely to commit suicide. In fact, lack of church attendance correlates more strongly with suicide rates than any other risk factor, interestingly enough. Those who are polled that are religious show greater family stability. One study revealed that 84% of strong families identified religion as an important contributor to their family strength. There is greater marital satisfaction amongst believers. Churchgoers are more likely to say they would marry the same person again. There's better physical health, believe it or not amongst churchgoers. All potlucks aside, right, there's better physical health amongst believers. Evidence shows today that being a part of a religious group can lower blood pressure, relieve stress, enhance survival after a heart attack. Well, we just know as we read through things like that, that of course, right, because Jesus Christ saves us from the practice of sin. When we stop going on sinning or we cease to continue in sin as a way that characterizes our life, of course, some healthy, godly, God-given things happen in our lives because we're simply saved from the practice of sin. What a blessing God gives us even just in daily life of being a follower of Jesus. that We're saved from things that make life really stinky and given a real opportunity to live with joy. Thank God for that, right? Being saved from the practice of sin allows us to experience the quality of life that God wants us to have. And again, not just for ourselves, but so that we can bless others. He gives us the health that we have so that we can be vessels for him, so that we can be part of his kingdom work and others can know about Christ until he comes again. That's just exactly how he's designed it. He wants us followers to be ready and equipped to do his work. Well, back to Matthew chapter 1. Joseph was not afraid to take Mary home as his wife. After he heard from the Lord, he was fully ready to obey because he heard that people would be saved from their sins. And the name that he was to give this child that Mary was going to be delivering, Jesus, that very name would say as much. So as you reflect on some of this today, how about you? 
Is the penalty of sin still in any way over your life? Does the power of sin at times feel like it still has control over you? Or is the practice of sin still putting you in a deep rut? If so, if you can answer yes to any of those, you are the very kind of person that Jesus, by name, came to save. He came to do this for you. His very name says the Lord saves, and he came to save you. A lot of times this, uh, this time of year, we'll hear a phrase, and I, I think it's meant to counter some of the commercialism that over the years has crept into Christmas, but you'll hear this phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. And oddly enough, that phrase gets commercialized pretty, pretty much as well because you see it on t-shirts, sweaters, sweatshirts, ornaments, you know, all different kinds of commercialized things. But it's a great phrase. Jesus is the reason for the season. As we close this morning, I want us to think just even a little bit more deeply about the reason for the season, though. Yes, the reason we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus came to earth. But why did Jesus come to earth? Anybody? What's his name say? He came to save. Who's the real reason for the season? Technically, sinners are the reason for the season. You and me. It's why Jesus came to earth. So contemporary Christian song, well, I guess no longer contemporary because it's several years old, but the lines of it said, we are the reason that he gave his life. We are the reason that he suffered and died to a world that was lost. He gave all he could give to show us the reason to live. Friends, of course, Jesus is the reason for the season. We celebrate him, we worship him, but why did he come to earth? To save. The reason he came here is because You've sinned, and I've sinned. And that sin broke or severed our relationship with God. As it says in the Old Testament, your sins have cut you off from God. And now Jesus came to reunite us to God forever so that we could live in the security of all those different names that we've previously looked at, knowing Jesus as our wonderful counselor, mighty God, the security of his everlasting father role in our lives, and truly experience him being our prince of peace because his name would be called Jesus, who came to save his people from the penalty, the power, and the practice of sin. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from First Christian Church of Warsaw, Indiana. We invite you to join us for worship on an upcoming Sunday morning. Check out our website at FCCWarsaw.com for more details and information. Again, that's FCCWarsaw.com.